When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Today's episode of Punk Rock HR covers topics like depression, anxiety, and suicide. If you are sensitive to those topics, this episode may not be for you. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Kate Yuan. For her day job, she's an enterprise software executive. Then on nights and weekends, she volunteers at her county's crisis hotline and talks to people who have suicidal thoughts and ideations. It's a new year, but it doesn't mean that you or the people you love are a new version of themselves. Problems just don't go away on January 1st. If you're curious about what happens when you call a crisis hotline or wonder what it's like to volunteer there, well, please sit back and have a listen to my conversation with Kate Yuan. Hey, Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Laurie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled that you're here. Before we get started, I thought maybe you could just give us a very brief overview about who you are and what you're all about. My name is Kate. My family's from Wuhan. Yes, now the city everybody knows about in China. I came to the U.S. when I was 17, so I say my worldview is both shaped by the Western and the Eastern culture. I majored in philosophy at NYU and um, spent the first half of my career working for NGOs like the United Nations, where I spent a considerable amount of time in East Africa and Southeast Asia. And during that process, I was really fascinated by the exponential and global impact of tech entrepreneurship. So I moved to the Bay Area and started working in tech. Two startups and one venture capital firm later, I now work on business development at Alibaba Cloud, one of the largest cloud providers in the world. Kate, there's so much in your background that just fascinates me. First of all, you know, you're um, you're so right. Everybody knows Wuhan, China right now. Just very briefly, can you quickly tell us what the city is like in your heart and in your memories? I mean, everybody has an idea of what they think Wuhan is, but what is it to you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I left the city when I was very young to go to the south part of China because my parents have uh, new jobs there. But I grew up eating hot dry noodle. That's like the most famous dish in Wuhan. And I really wish when COVID is all over and we can all travel again, if we ever go to that city, try that dish. I promise you, you have such a memorable time. It will like be on your taste bud forever. 
That's so lovely. That's such a nice way to think about Wuhan instead of what's going on in the world today. Well, you know, you're on the podcast today because we met through a business connection that we have in the world, my friend Ginny Hamilton. And Ginny is just a dear friend of mine who works at Red Hat. She oversees this really great community where you are a writer. So really briefly, can you tell us about that community and what you write about? So Genie hosts a um, very special community for the open source company Red Hat. It's called the Enterprises Project. We look at it almost like a CIO forum. And because I work in the cloud business and advise startups and founders, so I occasionally write for them on topics anywhere from tech, startup, entrepreneurship, coaching, leadership, and so forth. So Kate, your volunteerism is completely different than what you do in your professional life. So where was this desire born to be helpful and to get involved with suicide counseling and being helpful in a really tough situation? I think the answer is both personal and more macro, like what's going on in the world. So I went through a period of depression myself and I was very vocal about it. So I ended up hearing a lot of stories from my dear friends who seem just doing perfect in their work and life, but also going through a lot of difficult patches in life. And I really decided to start volunteering this year because yes, the vaccine is in the horizon and there's a lot of optimism and hope, but at the same time, there's a lot of traumas and grief and vaccine couldn't fix that. So I really want to be the listener of what people are going through and be of help. In that regard. I think you're right. I mean, there's a lot of despair in the world, but the reason why you're on my podcast today is because I believe 2021 can offer hope, not just for COVID, but I think it's a time for a really great reset of how we relate to one another, of how we care for ourselves. But I think we need to take a step back and talk about the problem, the problem of depression, anxiety, of suicide, and why should we care? So what is all this about and why should we care? That's a fantastic question. I mean, probably most of us would know that, okay, suicide is a bad thing. We want to prevent it. But the number is actually very striking. So globally, 1 million people die due to suicide every year, which is one person every 30 seconds. So in the podcast we've gone through so far, we can count the numbers. And that's just heartbreaking. And if we focus on the U.S., according to the CDC, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death for all ages. And the more heartbreaking data is this. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34. Actually, that coincides with my experience. I often do get calls from young boys and girls who are in high school or college or professionals in their early 20s or 30s. It just pains me when I think of the long future they have in front of them, but at the same time, the unbearable sense of pain and suffering they're going through. When you get calls from individuals, and I know you don't want to speak to the specific calls that you get or the specific people that you get, I think for me, there are just some assumptions that I have about the profile of the individual who's calling you. So maybe I think they have long-term mental health issues or are completely psychotic, but can you speak to that? overall general type of person who calls a crisis line and needs some help? Ori Belifi, you're not alone. When I talk to my friends and family about this, that's often the first question they have too. You're right. Some of them do have long-term mental health issues and some don't. But either way, most of my callers tell me they feel like they don't have anyone to turn to. Even loved ones might consider them quote-unquote freaks if they share their suicidal ideations. Just like you said, people think someone must be psychotic to be contemplating suicide. 
So that's the really, really wrong conception. And I think we need two changes in the way we treat the topic of suicide. Number one, acknowledge that it's normal to feel suicidal. All of us can experience moments when life feels unbearably painful. And second, not only is it natural, we should welcome suicidal thoughts and feelings. Actually, whoa, whoa. I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> sure. Wait a second, Kate. That is super controversial. We should welcome suicidal thoughts and feelings. I can imagine someone, well, nobody commutes to work anymore, but somebody sitting at their desk listening to this podcast going, holy smokes, that is antithetical to everything I know about suicide. So talk to me about suicidal thoughts and feelings. Yeah. If there's any listener reacting the way you just described, I would say to him or her, welcome it. Think about it. Feel it. Because Emotions don't go away just because we resist them. Actually, they haunt us more if we do. So the more we can express suicidal thoughts and feelings, the more space we have to decide how we react to them. We need to separate feelings and actions. So I would go so far as in saying suicidal thoughts or feelings don't kill someone. It's the sense of shame and the resulting isolation and loneliness that destroy us. What is it like to be on the other side of the crisis hotline when you hear people calling and saying really heartbreaking things? How does that feel? I want to let out a gentle sigh because being on the other side of the crisis hotline is like being trusted with the last bit of hope, hesitation, and request for help when life feels unbearably painful. These experiences really make me appreciate the courage it takes to be vulnerable, to confront our shadow and scars, our darkest moments, and even our most unlovable elements. But still, trust that with a stranger on the other side of the line and say, I do want to live. Please help me. So I really think the less shame and resistance we have around talking about heavy topics like suicide, death, and depression, the more connected we can be. And connection is really what we need in this ever-divided world. I believe holding space and offering support for such a conversation is the best thing we can do to prevent suicide. And good news, it's much easier than you think. Well, thank goodness it's much easier than I think because I think it's incredibly hard. So tell me, Kate, how do you talk about suicide and how can you tell if someone has suicidal thoughts? The only way is to ask. I know it's going to feel awkward or even offensive to ask if someone is considering suicide. So the best way to have an assessment is to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone in an environment where you won't be distracted and can focus your attention on the other person. 100%. What if you think someone is going through some difficult patches? How do you start? I encourage everyone to be proactive. If you feel like there are reasons to be concerned about someone's mental health, reach out and start your conversation by asking this very simple question. How are you feeling? And let them talk. You can continue asking open-ended questions like, oh, what happened? How did that make you feel? But the key is to use how and what to start your question in an open-ended way that welcome any answer instead of a yes or no question or why question that usually make people defensive because they have to justify their feeling and thinking. What's the second key to all of this? How else do you think about this? The second, I would say the most important key is to resist your urge to problem solve. Oh man, I'm going to stop right there because all I want to do is problem solve for someone who's in pain, for someone who's hurting. That sounds counterintuitive, Kate. Yes, this is very counterintuitive, but it's so important. Do not try to give someone advice or dissuade them from the plan. And in my experience, this is the hardest part. 
Because as a society, we always want to be helpful, productive, constructive, and problem solving just all the time. But let's think about this: Why do we think negative emotions are problems that need to be solved? Why don't we want to solve the problem when someone's happy? Well, I think you know nobody's really paying attention to other people's happiness. But when someone is sad around us, we're well intentioned. We want to jump in and fix it. I don't know, Kate. What do you think? I'm totally with you. Even though it's well intentioned, it actually shows our binary thinking that negative emotions are bad and positive emotions are good. So let's fix the former and encourage the latter. And that's just simply not true. Emotions are emotions. They come and go, and no one can be or should be happy all the time. Emotions are emotions. That's something that sounds really good on paper, but I struggle with that. I think emotions are something I should tackle right now. I don't know. Do you struggle with that as well? Yeah, this is why I said this is the hardest part because I find myself struggling with this part a lot, especially when I'm talking to someone I know or whose story I can relate to. I just feel like I know how to fix it. Let me tell you and. Once I fix your problem, your negative feelings will go away, and they were done. <laughs> But that's just simply not true because we can never really know what the other person is experiencing or has gone through. And many of the suicidal ideations or depressive or anxious thoughts are results of unresolved emotional traumas that perhaps even the other person are unaware of. So the trick here is to constantly remind yourself that the person you talk to can feel however they feel. You're Empathizing with their emotions, not the story or narrative they constructed for themselves. That's the natural way you want to go into. Like, let me fix the reason behind your depressive or suicidal thoughts, and you're good. But that's not true, and that's not how it works. And my favorite quote describing the state is by Dina Crick. She says, "Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person." Having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand would take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness blow the rest away. This is the kind of comfort that we are striving for in our conversation. Wow. That is really moving and also very daunting. So, as a counselor. Or just as a a friend in a situation, how and when do you broach the topic of suicide? Then that's a great question. So as the conversation gets deeper, as you keep asking about open-ended questions and just listen to them, you can naturally bring up the question: Are you thinking of killing or hurting yourself? And do you have a plan? I care about you and want you to be safe. And the key here is to ask these questions. I know they're loaded questions, but ask these questions as naturally as if you're asking. How's the weather today? Well, I'm going to stop right there, Kate, because that has got to take some internal strength as a friend, as a counselor. And I just wonder, how do you ask those questions without having your heart in your throat? The key here is to not want to change the other person. I know this is going to sound counterintuitive again, but your job. Is to focus your attention, your entire attention, on the other person during this limited time of your conversation. You're not trying to change how they feel. If at the end of the call they still feel bad, they still want to kill themselves, that is fine. I know this is hard to take in, but it is. And trust me, actually, 95% of the time I talk to a caller, they end up feeling better, even though that's not my objective. The only thing I'm focusing on is try to focus on them during the conversation. What if the person you're talking to, as a counselor or as a friend, has concrete plans? What do you do? 
if someone has concrete plan to do something to hurt or kill themselves, you need to do a little multitasking in this case. So keep the conversation going, but text someone else you trust and share the information, especially the person's location, the phone number. So that the other person can either call the national suicide hotline and ask what to do in this case, or call the police directly to do a welfare check if the situation is proven to be urgent. But most likely, the person just simply feels very depressed, exhausted, and has passive suicidal thoughts. So you just need to keep the conversation going, listen attentively, and repeat step two, which is ask open-ended questions and empathize with their emotions. How do you end the conversation with someone? What do you say? You can usually end the conversation when you feel like the person's a lot calmer and more willing to share. And you can end the conversation by asking, "How do you feel now? What do you plan to do next?" Usually, twenty to thirty minute of attentive listening is enough to make someone feel a lot better. And that's almost ninety-five percent of the case for me. That's really good news and also surprising for me. You know, Kate, we just kind of went through a very basic conversation of what happens when you get someone on a phone call as a volunteer, or if I were to have a friend who is expressing suicidal thoughts. And I know I wrote down there are really five steps that we kind of covered in that conversation. Could you summarize those five steps again for our listeners, just to clarify them? For sure, I call it the stare. S T A R E to make remembering easier. So number one, start with how you're feeling and other open-ended questions. Step two, try not to problem solve, just listen with attention. And step three, assess the situation by naturally asking, "Are you thinking of killing yourself? Do you have a plan?" Step four, repeat the second step, listen with attention. And five. End the conversation by asking, "How do you feel now? What do you plan to do next?" Kate,、okay, let's do a little bit of role playing so people could hear how this may play out in the real world. Am I the caller or the counselor? How about you be the counselor and I be the caller? Since you already know the five steps, just follow it. You do great. Oh, okay. That just that easy. All right. The stakes are high. Holy smokes. Okay. So let me pretend as if I just answered the phone. Hello, this is Lori. How can I help you? Hi, Lori.、Um, I'm not having a great day. Oh, well. Can you tell me how you're feeling? I'm feeling really depressed because I usually go home for a holiday, and now it feels too risky to fly, and I haven't seen my family for the whole year. Wow, that is that is hard. I hear you. How does that make you feel, though, not seeing your family? It's really lonely, and I'm frightened. They're old, and I had some illness in the past. I just don't know how long this is gonna last. Yeah, I can understand. Does that upset you? Yeah, I'm just alone by myself at home. I don't know what to do. Hmm.、Well, I hear you, and I wonder: Are you thinking of killing yourself? Do you have a plan? No, I don't have a plan. But I just have these thoughts that I wish I don't exist. I wish I'm not here anymore. So everything's behind me. Hmm. I hear you. <sighs> Being away from your family and the people you love, 
That sounds really hard. Are you feeling anything else? Anything else come to mind? I actually wish I could have someone to talk to. I hope I can just talk to my friends and tell them how I feel. But I'm afraid that my feelings are too dark for them right now. Hmm. Well, do you want to tell me what some of those feelings are? Maybe you can tell me and I can listen to them and let you know what I think. Oh, what a relief to know that someone does care about how I feel. So uh, how do you feel now? What do you plan to do next? Oh, I feel a lot more relieved. I haven't been able to share this with anyone for a long time. Um, I probably plan to go for a walk and then call my dad on my way. Hmm. Well, that sounds really good. I'm glad you felt, though, that you could call here and you can always call back. Thank you, Laurie. I really appreciate it. All right, Kate. You just give me a grade. Tell me how I did. Tell the listeners how I did. I'm really not working off of a script here. I've got the stare methodology in front of me, but I don't know. How did I do? You did great. We're role-playing. That's why I'm just coming up with a like, random scenario on my own. Someone with really depressive mood at the moment would either have a lot more to say or a lot less to say. But you did the right thing, which is ask open-ended questions, listen, or let there be silence if the other person needs a little more space. I think the thing for me is that the silence was a little awkward and a little daunting. Does it ever feel that way to you? Oh, don't worry about that because sometimes you even hear the other person cry for a long time and all you need to do is just be there and maybe feel the silence with sentences like, I'm here for you. It's okay. We have a lot of time. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as we were doing this role playing is that this is so different from therapy. This is just a short term fix. Can you talk a little bit about this and the difference between therapy? I encourage people to see a therapist. Just like when you have physical illness, you go see a doctor. For your mental health, you also need to see a doctor. That's a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So the counseling you and I can do is very simple and provide short-term relief, where we give our undivided attention to someone for a limited amount of time. I think undivided attention is such an interesting word choice, Kate. Why did you pick it? Because I believe attention is the most basic and powerful form of love. And the more love we give, the more we have. Remember, you're not trying to change the other person. It's okay if they don't feel better and it's okay if they still want to kill themselves. But remember, 95% of the time, people tell me they feel better within a 20-minute call. And that's the power of love, of a simple, undivided attention to someone. As a result, it should not be draining for you to do a call like this. And it's much easier than many of us would have imagined. When I shared with friends and colleagues that we were talking today and I told them that you volunteer on a crisis and suicide hotline, many of them felt that it would not only be draining, but also triggering for them and their own mental health. How do you make sure it's not draining for you and make sure to protect your own mental health? You are not the person you're trying to help. You can't completely understand what they're going through nor solve their problems once for all. So I think the important boundary is your attention is with them, with their emotions for this call. After the call, it's over. There's a very interesting tradition in the 
suicide and counseling hotline where I work at. There's a little tree outside of the phone room, and we're encouraged to write down the name or the problem that's still with us when we finish our shift, and just leave that little card on a leaf on a branch. And once we walk out of the phone room, it's with the tree and no longer with us. I think there are many beautiful psychological effects of this. You spend all your attention with a person on a phone call, but once you hang up. Once it's done, remember you're still you, and their life is still their life. That is really beautiful, and actually a really healthy ritual. I wonder how many corollaries there are to our lives at work and to our lives professionally. <laughs> to be able to write something down on a piece of paper, hang it on a tree, and leave it there. I think that's really beautiful, Kate. As we wrap up the conversation today, what do we want our audience to remember from our discussion? I really would like the audience to know that if you have suicidal thoughts, know that it's natural and not something to be ashamed of. Share this podcast with someone you trust and let them know how they can help you. Or if you know someone is depressed or distressed, ask them these questions naturally. Use the stare method and offer your attention for twenty minutes. Just give it a try. And the national suicide hotline is eight zero zero two seven three. Eight two five five, or if you prefer text messages, the crisis text line is by texting home H O M E to seven four one seven four one. I'd also encourage anyone that has the capacity to volunteer at your county suicide hotline, related nonprofits, or the crisis text line. They can always use some extra help. Kate, all of that is so helpful. So we'll make sure to include all of that information you just provided, along with your LinkedIn and your personal website, in the show notes. How does that sound? It sounds great. Thank you, Laurie. And thanks again for being a guest on Punk Rock HR. My pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kate Yuan. I appreciated all the resources that she shared, and we've collected them in the show notes. You can head on over to punkrockhr.com for more information and to connect directly with Kate. I wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you learned something. I hope you found it helpful, and we'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to eighty-nine percent off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over one million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code Program for a special offer. That's Stamps.com code Program.